Well, if you would, take your copy of God's Word, and please turn with me to the letter of 1 Corinthians, as we look this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. You know, there's something beautiful and odd and wonderful about believers gathering week after week, Sunday after Sunday. You know, the gathering of believers, of us, here this morning, it is this beautiful, wonderful picture of the gospel. People who are very different from one another, with different backgrounds, different ethnicities, a spectrum of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds coming together, not in our name, not because we have like a sports team or some, you know, we like movies or we read these certain books, none of those things, but we come in the name and we are built upon the name of Jesus Christ. So it's wonderful, it's odd, but right, and it's beautiful. And it's not about a building. You could take or leave the building. It is about a people. Yet, in our day, the gathering of the saints, this, what we're doing here this morning, is something that is deeply in need of rekindling. Something that we must aim to be doing regularly, not forsaking, even something that, especially perhaps today, we must fight for. It isn't something that we merely do, this gathering, because it's what we've always done, which is true, like throughout church history, the church has gathered on the Lord's Day. But it's not just that, and it's not because of that primarily that we do that, because it's always something we've done. It's something we do, because if we don't, we're not merely interrupting that gospel picture that's beautiful and wonderful, but we are running against the very grain of that gospel picture. And against the very grain, even, of Scripture itself. Also, this gathering right now, though we do it gladly, you may or may not know this, but this is something that the Lord expects. And the Lord expects of every believer everywhere. Amen. It's not something... However, we may want to argue it. It's not something that can be done online. That's right. It's not something that can be done virtually or even from a distance. That is not this. The gathering of the saints, biblically, scripturally, is in person, it's physical. And it's spatial. And this is what God calls us to do. Even as we see in Hebrews. You know the verses there in Hebrews chapter 10. We hear them so often. But in those verses we have a command from God. That to not do it is sin. And it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 through 25. It says, and let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. So before the Lord, as those who love the Lord, we're to take up His word here, and really throughout, with joy, that all the peoples around us would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Beautiful, 
odd, wonderful gospel picture that God is displaying right now throughout the world. And so all of that, all of this forms the heart that we are to have as we come to our passage this morning concerning an area perhaps you don't hear preached on much, but you do hear of much, depending on how often a church celebrates it. But this passage here concerning the Lord's Supper, a people coming together to worship, embodying the gospel, rather than defying the gospel. So in order to see this, Let's read here, beginning with verse 17 of chapter 11. May we receive the word of the Lord this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things... I will give you directions when I come. Now, the overarching emphasis here in these verses is worship. Worship. All of life is really about that. About worship. About God. Glorifying Him, loving Him, adoring Him, being enthralled with Him or not, and worshiping created things and idols and false gods and so on. So all of life really is that. It's about and it is concerned with worship. You, as a person, your work, your home life, all of life concerns worship. Yet Paul is honing in here on the worship gathering, on the saints coming together, the people of God, the local church gathering for worship. We actually already saw kind of a piece of this last time, this kind of emphasis on worship, you know, where uh, we gathered from, you know, where we saw from chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. So last time before the winter weather canceled, we saw that. In chapter two, verses or chapter eleven, verse two, verse two through sixteen, we saw biblical headship and Paul's emphasis on the created order of men and women, women 
and masculinity and femininity and husbands and wives and head coverings. And we saw all that matters, like right now. As angels look on at our worship, chapter 11, verse 10, all of that matters. The created order matters. So God is concerned with our worship and with our coming together. And so with these verses then, for the Corinthians and for us, the ones this morning, it's time to learn. And it's time for us and time for them to learn. So while, if you remember, in chapter 11, verse 2, you can turn there. I don't know if your Bible is on the same page or not, but probably not. Maybe it is. But 11, verse 2, Paul said, Now I commend you. Because you remember me in everything and maintain your tra- the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So he said that there. He commended the Corinthians. Well, here, he does not do that. Right? He comes with no comment- commendation. So, big broad point. Time to learn. Under that. So if you're taking your notes there. Time to learn. Under that point, no commendation. And so what does he say in verse 17? He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now we need to be honest with ourselves here, and I hope you are, and I hope we are. There is a rightness to addressing what we do, as in our practices as a church. The Corinthians... We're doing things that were not good as a church. And so this is not a time for them, right? To hunker down and keep doing the same things they've been doing, right? It's time to learn. It's time to be corrected by the Word of God. To hear from God. And to be changed. Don't keep going this way. Is how they need to receive Paul's words here. And in many ways, Paul is writing this letter to address a deep sense of spiritual pride that had welled up among the Corinthians. And we've kind of seen that throughout this letter as we've walked from chapter to chapter to chapter. We have seen the spiritual pride of the Corinthians. And so he's addressing that here still among the members of the church of Corinth. And so this pride was affecting what they did. Their practice, right? As a church. It was affecting their lives and even how they treated one another within the church as they gathered. Now, when that happens, when pride wells up and rises up in us, in you, that is not the point for you to say, well, I'm just going to get even, I'm going to dig myself in deeper. I'm going to become even more unmoved. More pride, not less. Well, that's not the time for that. When pride rises up in us. But rather, when we see that, when we recognize that, or it's pointed out to us like it is here for them, we need to get, not higher, but we need to get lower. When the word comes and addresses our pride, our practices, it addresses us individually and as a church, we are to get low and not get back up, right? I mean, you just stay right there. That's a perfect place for every one of us as believers. At the feet of Christ, just humbled before him and humbled before his word, humbled before the gospel. Perfect place for all of us. So we're not to come as liars, but in light of the truth, in light of what the gospel has already said, every one of us here, we come as sinners. We're not better than anyone. We don't come any Sunday or any day as the people who aren't needy. We don't have it all together. You don't. Are you in glory right now? 
Well, then you don't have it all together. <laughs> I don't have it all together. And so the supper here, the Lord's Supper here, it says that. It says with a like spotlight, we aren't the answer, you aren't the answer, but we know who is. Christ is the answer. Amen. Now it's here that we see some important wording that Paul uses. And it's this phrase he uses again and again and again throughout these verses, and it's this phrase, when you come together. And he uses this phrase five times. In verse 17, verse 18, verse 20, verse 33, and verse 34. Now this is telling you and all of us something very important about the Lord's Supper. This supper, we won't be taking part in it this morning, but we will again soon. We take part in it at Haven once a month. But this supper, it's not a billboard with a picture of you on it. It's a billboard with, and you would be right if you think Christ, you would be right in thinking that. But in view of these words that Paul is saying here, it's a billboard with an us on it. It's not a me. It's a Christ-centered, cross-embracing us. It's something that we practice. The church does. And when it does this, it does it together. So when Paul writes in verse 18, for in the first place, when do you come together as a church? He's not imagining kind of this broken jigsaw puzzle, you know? We like to, my family, we like to do jigsaw puzzles every so often, usually around the holidays. You know, and they're all everywhere, right? At the beginning. Well, he's not imagining that. A bunch of disconnected, disjointed people. That's not what he has in mind here. In fact, that is just the problem that he's addressing here, isn't it? That's kind of the way that they were taking part in the Lord's Supper, as this kind of disconnected, disjointed bunch of people. And so we see this point. When they come together, there are divisions and factions. When they come together, there are divisions and factions. And that is not good. Something is separating them one from another. It's putting distance between each other as they gather. Divisions and factions within a church are evidence of that. Evidence of what? Well, evidence of something that is not a minor point. Evidence of gospel disconnections where somewhere along the way the gospel is not taking hold in the church. It's not connecting biblically, theologically, or practically. Something is misfiring at the core. Like, big problem. Now, over the last few weeks, you know, I've had several conversations with our children and our kiddos about why we sometimes, like we as in us and you, people, why we sometimes personally struggle the way we do with ourselves. The way we struggle with ourselves, the way we struggle with the world, the way we struggle with our sin. And it's when something else becomes really big, you know? And it can be anything. And it becomes bigger than the things of God. It becomes bigger than the gospel. It becomes bigger than Christ. It becomes bigger than the word of God. It's when we jumble all of those things up, this mess just ensues. And we struggle with sin and self and the world and with each other. And it might be pleasing people. I mean, how many of us struggle with that? It could be your job. I mean, like, that gets big. You know, imagine this big balloon. It's your job, right? 
And then what happens to all these other things that God says are important? Like church and your family and all these things, right? You see how it gets jumbled up? Something gets big. The things of God get small. It could be your family. My children are everything to me. Is that what it is? That's the big bubble. God's over here, small. What will you make your life about then? Is it your comfort? Well, as Americans, let me say that's a hard one for us. That's a big one. Is it that? If that is it, then you will do everything to make sure nothing changes. No one's going to touch my comfort. And if you touch it, I will go after you. You see how this works then? When something gets real big in our life, and God becomes very small. And it can be all sorts of things, even anything, but when that happens, a disconnection occurs. And it can occur in churches too. That's what these divisions were here in these verses. They were gospel disconnections. Something else had gotten bigger than God, than the gospel, and then, uh, than Jesus Christ. And yet, these factions, as we see in verse 19, they can have this kind of revealing effect as well. Now, as you read that verse, Paul's not, and hear me, he's not at all condoning factions here. He's not saying, all right, guys, you be a group, you be a group. That's good. <laughs> you know, he's not saying that. He's not encouraging you to this. He's saying sinful division in the church can often reveal the genuine. That's what he's saying. Like fire reveals impurities, it can reveal those who are in fact not sincere in their faith, or even reveal those who don't know Christ at all. Now, as he says that there, he might even have in mind, if you remember back in chapter 1, right? How did Paul begin? Chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, where they did indeed have all these sorts of factions, right, among them, where some were saying, you know, I follow this guy. No, no, I follow this guy, you know. I follow Paul. No, I, I follow Apollos. You know, I follow Cephas. You know, I, I follow Christ. You know, we had all these things going on there in chapter one. Now, when you see that in a church, and we do see that in many churches, even today. Maybe not even even today. Just we see them today. Unless it is in regard to Christ and a false teacher and a false prophet, or a false teaching, what you are seeing is a thread has snapped from the gospel. This is part of why all of this matters so much here, what Paul is saying. Something else among you, Corinthians, has gotten bigger than Christ. And we are right to ask that of ourselves, of Haven, of you. Has something become bigger than Christ? And so part of the root of the problem is when they come together, another point in your notes, when they come together, they are living for themselves rather than embodying the gospel. Now, this is a challenge for us in our day, too. Paul is calling us away from individualized celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, that right there may sound very odd to you. As in, it's like when you take part in the Supper, it's just you and the Lord. Paul's saying that's not it. The Lord's Supper is always done in the Scriptures in the context of the church. 
In fact, this is part of the issue that Paul is addressing here, isn't it? Right? So what was going on? Well, the more affluent among them, the well-off, the wealthy, were just going ahead and eating, right? Individualism. Just me and the Lord. They just went on ahead, and as we see there in verse 21, they basically just glutton themselves on the bread and the wine without even considering anyone else. Even to the point of getting drunk. Now that's bad, you know. Let me just get all that wine, you know. So like a tree snapping in the middle of a forest, here at that moment, with that, the snapping of a thread from the gospel. They just came to this feast and said, you know what, forget about you. I am eating, you know. Me and the Lord. That is not a picture of God in the gospel. It is a picture of self, and it is ugly. If they were hungry, they had houses that they could have eaten in. But by doing this, they were despising God's people, and they were humiliating the poor among them, verse 22. And so Paul, he doesn't mince words here. He will not, and he does not commend them for this. And so you see, the Lord's Supper is not about the centrality of self. It's about death to self. It's about Christ, and it's about what He has done. It's not about magnifying us, our desires, but it's about magnifying Christ and souls satisfied in Him together. Rejoicing in what he has done for us and us on the billboard, not on me. So Paul is saying to you and to me and to them, friends, connect the gospel threads in your church. And so see then here, that the Lord's Supper, taking all this together, of these first verses, see that the Lord's Supper is a churchly ordinance. And by ordinance, it may sound like an intimidating word, it just means it was ordained by Christ. That's it. So it's churchly, as in, it's something we do together. In person, physically, as regenerate, baptized believers in Christ. It's not an individual affair. It's something we do together as a church before the Lord. Amen. We even see this in other places here in 1 Corinthians. Now, if you remember back in chapter 10, the main thing wasn't Lord's Supper, but Paul brought up the Lord's Supper, didn't he? He's talking about idols and idolatry and food offered to idols and Christian freedom. And he points out, well, when you take part in those temples, right, you are doing something very bad. You are participating with demons and doing these things, so don't do that. And then what did he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17? The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. They had this one bread that they were to partake in as a church. Can you do that virtually? No. That imagery of one Christ, one body, together, in person, together as the church of Corinth, as one body with this one bread, breaking it off. Here you go. Now that is not a self-centered picture. It's churchly and it smells like sheep gathered around the chief shepherd of their soul. It's a when you come together, one bread, one by, and us, not this picture of just, you know, me and the Lord in the supper. 
So consider that. Consider, as you have taken part in the Lord's Supper, and as you take part in the Lord's Supper in days to come, is that the way you have taken part in the Supper? It's churchly. That's exactly what Paul is addressing. They're going about being in the, making it all about themselves. That's not the supper you're taking part in, he says. So how are you taking part? So see that. See it's churchly, but also see the Lord's Supper. It is to challenge divisions rather than perpetuate them. It's a call for you to call for us to be more like Christ, not less. It's not a call to arms. It is a call to die. Every time we partake, it is exhorting us to challenge divisions in our own hearts. Perhaps just like the Corinthians here, we are to ask, you are to ask, are we making something else bigger than the gospel? Is it about us? Is it about our way? Or are we locking arms, locking hands, and we are following Christ together? And if and when we're drawing lines in the sand, because we might need to do that, but if and when we do, we need to ask, are they gospel lines? Friends, more often than not, our lines are over so many other things that we have made big, but God has not. It's trying to wring something out of the hands of Jesus to make it ours. Well, the Lord's Supper, it challenges you and it challenges us to consider all of those things. How are we relating to one another? Is it this beautiful, wonderful, gospel-connected picture that when the world looks on, they look at it and say, whatever that is, I want that right there. That is the way it should be. That community, that selflessness, that giving up of oneself for one another, whatever that is, tell me about that. Is the gospel chief among us? Is Christ not just in what we know, but in who we are and how we treat one another? The supper is calling us to consider these things. So continuing with this teachable heart here. So we started, learn, right? Be taught, be teachable. So we start there, but then second, we need to see this second point with the remainder of these verses that Paul has here. So second, see the joy and sober nature of the Lord's Supper. The joy and sober nature of the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is both. There's to be this joyful and sober sense to the Supper. I like to think of it like this. It's like Christmas, right? When you think of Christmas, do you think of like sitting by yourself twiddling your thumbs being totally bored? Is that what you think of? Probably not. Maybe somebody here is like, yep, that's exactly what I think of. Well, most people, I don't think they think of that when they think of Christmas. When you think of Christmas, you think joy, rejoicing, feasting. And so the Lord's Supper, it's Christmas and it's prayer. Coming before God rever reverentially, humbly, amazed at Him. So let's look at each of these in turn. So first... See the joy of the supper as we remember all he has done. See the joy of the supper as we remember all that he has done. This Lord's Supper, it is not a funeral. <laughs> Just hear me here, 
right? I mean, you know exactly what I mean. You know, it can so often take on that tone when you're taking part in the Lord's Supper. It's like, where's the funeral music, you know? Well, that's not what the supper is to be. And so Paul, he sets this in its proper light. How on the night Jesus was betrayed, he broke the bread and told his disciples to do this and to take up the Lord's Supper. He broke the bread, Jesus did, even as his own body would be broken for us. And so we come to the table with that before us. I mean, is that like not a reason to rejoice? And so the gospel is big. Jesus Christ is big. The cross is to be heralded, and not just in the supper, but in your life. And so you come viewing those things, and you're like, what? He died, his body broken for me. Amen. Joy! That's why it's Christmas. And it's not the Mass. It's not the re-crucifying of Christ. And that's important because it's not, you're not taking part in the Lord's Supper to be justified. To gain righteousness, to fill your righteousness cup. Christ alone saves, not the Supper. Amen. He is our righteousness. When you put your faith in Christ, that's what he is to you. When God looks at you, wherever you are, whatever, you, whatever you're doing in your life from now until you go to be with the Lord, and even with you, when you're with the Lord, when he looks at you, because of Christ and Christ alone, what does he see? Righteousness. Amen. Not increasing, not decreasing, just Christ and his righteousness. Supper, no supper. Righteousness, unaffected. Because when you put your faith in Christ, God made a declaration over you. He declared, you are righteous in His sight. Amen. Because of Jesus. So your sin does not lower your righteousness cup. So see... In this supper, it is not a time for funeral music. It is a time for rejoicing, a time for praise, and time for glory as we remember him. And then see the joy of the supper as we come in view of the new covenant in Christ. His blood, represented by the cup, emphasizes his atoning blood spilled for you. His enacting and being the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He is the fulfillment of what Mike just read a moment ago from Jeremiah 31. Through Christ, we are part of that promise. You are part of the new covenant in his blood. We are part of the promises of God going way back even to Genesis 3.15 as one people in Christ. As Paul, he says in Galatians, you know, remember what he says there? Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen. You are a child of Abraham if you are in Christ. Praise the Lord. Now with that, as we think about what we do as a church, New Covenant, Lord's Supper, or the different ordinances we practice, baptism, how does that all fit into this? Now with believer's baptism, we're saying, you did, I did, when you got baptized, you said that I am part of that. 
I am part of the new covenant people of God. With baptism as the kind of introductory right to say that I am part of these people. Doesn't save you. Doesn't make you righteous. It's Christ only. But it's a declaration saying, I'm part of Christ. I'm part of His church. I'm part of the new covenant. It's identifying yourself with that. Even as Paul says in that verse right before in Galatians 3, 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He's saying when you did that, you are identifying yourself with Jesus for everyone to see. You are part of that covenant. Yet, with the Lord's Supper, we are ongoingly saying, we're not baptized again and again, just once. But as we take part in the Supper, we are ongoingly saying that we are still part of that. We are still part of the new covenant. Christ is still our hope and our life and our salvation and Him and Him alone is our Savior. He is our life and Savior and righteousness. And what do we do as we see all of those things? Rejoice. We rejoice in that. We feast and so proclaim His death until He comes. So that is not a sad thing. It's not a time for rain. It is a time for joy. It's a time to throw open the windows and let the light come in. As you walk through life, you see your sin, the devil puts it right in your face. As you come to the table, you say, well, no, no, Christ is my hope, now and forever. Amen. And he has paid it all for me. And so we come rejoicing in the one who paid it all for us. And so it's a joy. Yet it's also something we are called to come to with a sense of soberness as well. Remember, it's Christmas and it's prayer. So second, we are to consider the sober nature of the supper as we examine ourselves. Now, this is exactly what Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to do. They have been partaking in the supper in a way that is not good. They have been coming to the table in ways that contradict the table, in ways that contradict the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 27. And in that way, making sense of that, they are guilty of the very definition of what Christ did for them. They've made it about themselves rather than about Christ. And so we're exhorted when we come to the table to examine ourselves. And if we won't, and if we don't do that, you need to hear me, there are real consequences, even judgment from God. So second, consider the sober nature of the supper as we see the reality of God's judgment. When Paul, he says this here in verses 27 through 32, he's not talking about theoretical judgment here. He's not trying to scare people. He's saying this is real and it could happen to you. So what do I mean? Well, some of the Corinthians, they were really getting weak. They were really getting ill, and even some were dying because of sinful, self-centered, unchurchly ways of partaking in the Lord's Supper. You know, we once, our family, Megan and I, we once lived in a town where many people were getting sick and dying around us, and it just kept coming. 
Now, let me just give some background. This town, it was known for its churches and their divisions. Many people even stopped going to church altogether. I talked to person after person after person. They went to church and they, they saw the disaster of the division again and again and again in church after church. And yet, what were all these churches doing? Well, they took regularly in the Lord's table. Now, I'm not saying I know definitively, but I just wonder, is this why? Is this why many were getting sick and were weak and were dying in that town? Friends, Paul means this. Now, while this is not a call for funeral music, it is a call to come to the table soberly Rather than being judged, we are to consider ourselves and judge ourselves before partaking. So taking all this together, these second pair of verses here, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, come to the table joyfully. Come to the table joyfully. It is not a funeral. It is a celebration. It is a feast. So we are to come with joy. We are to come selflessly. We are to come rejoicing in all that He has done for us. And even this morning, it is a proclamation of His death until He returns. And so perhaps this morning, as you're hearing all this, you are realizing, well, wait a minute. I don't know him. You don't know Christ. Well, this morning it is a call for you. You don't know this joy. All you know is the dry, the darkness, the dirtiness of the world. But yet this morning, Christ is calling for you to repent and to believe the gospel. To turn from self, to turn from sin, to turn from the world, to turn from it and turn to Him. And what will you have? Rest, joy, life, peace, forevermore with God. And so for you, if you want this joy, you need Christ this morning. You need to turn from yourself and turn to him who lived a sinless, perfect life, died, was buried, and rose again, and is right now seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And he knows you. And he knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. And he knows if you're fooling everybody right now. So forget all of us. Don't put your eyes on us. Do you know him? Do you know Christ this morning? That you may know true joy. Amen. So we are to come, and may you come one day to the table joyfully. But then also, we are to come to the table soberly. Examine yourself. Ask yourself, do you make it a priority to attend the Lord's Supper. Think about that. We are commanded to make it a priority. So are we. How can we do that if we aren't regularly gathering with the body? Now, I know there are those who cannot. And this isn't talking about them. I'm afraid that so often it's not those who are the ones who really are neglecting this. How many today need to rekindle their obedience to the Lord in gathering with the saints as Hebrews says and even as we see here? 
we have taken far too lightly God and His Word. Also, ask yourself, how are you doing with your relation each to one another? In your hearts, in your words, in your deeds, and in your practices. Unforgiveness is not okay. If you're at odds in conflict with one another, that's not okay. Now there is a point, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with one another, as Romans says. But have you even tried? Are we big, and is the gospel small? Are the threads of the gospel being snapped and broken? Or are they becoming ever more embedded in us and among us? Are we laying down our lives for others? Are we addressing sin in our own hearts and lives? Those are the questions we need to be considering as we take part in the Lord's Supper. So as Paul says here in these last verses, wait for one another. Wait. Lay your life down. Embody the gospel. Consider others. Consider Christ. Consider the love of Christ among us. And before the Lord and His Word, gather in the Lord in view of the work of the Lord as you take part in the table of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come in how many areas right now from these verses we are being called to examine in our own hearts and minds and lives and pray for each person here as they've heard your word that they would do just that and they would take it up and examine themselves. They would consider their own soul, consider whether they know you, Consider how they've been partaking in the supper. Consider the call of the cross and the call for us as a church to partake in the supper in unity in light of the gospel. So help us to consider these things, whether we've made some things bigger and some things smaller, or the things of God smaller and other things bigger. So help us, Father, we ask. Be with us as we pray and, and sing this next song. May you be with us if it means coming down here and at these steps and praying and seeking your face there. May we do it. If it means doing that there in the pew, may we do it. If it means coming and talking to me afterwards, may they do it. So may we respond. Even as we aren't taking part in the supper this morning, may we sing this communion hymn. And behold... Christ who was slain for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.